But I think if you're looking to, to reskill, upskill, or change uh, the path that you're on, some of the uh, top areas are... Hello and welcome back to a Side With Life podcast, The Honest Guide to Living and Working Abroad. As I'm sure you know by now, my name is Leanne. And my name's Al. And that's about it. Welcome back. That's probably all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Apart from the name of our guest, which we'll come on to in a minute. <laughs> but it's been um it's been a bit of a week, hasn't it, Leanne? As opposed to other weeks. <laughs> well, <laughs> what kind of week has it been? Am I just in full on denial at this point? What? Yeah, we've got, you see, the thing is, if, you, if you've been looking at our schedule of publishing, you'll notice that there's actually, there's a few gaps in it. And there's a reason for that is because we launched a, a second podcast back in April, which seems to have got a bit of traction and has just kind of blown up. So interestingly, if you are into people and culture in business, then search for Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture, our second podcast. We're only on our episode 11 or something and um, it's start, starting to kick off a little bit, isn't it? It's starting to go well. It is. We were very, very proud to be accepted into the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you don't know what that is, go and check out Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture and we'll explain it all there. But it has taken a bit of our time. But of course, we remember our roots. We wouldn't be having the success over there if it wasn't for you lovely, lovely people that have been following us since 2018. So please be assured we're not going anywhere. And in fact, you'll be hearing a lot more of us because we're doing Podmas again. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you remember Podmas? Listener, do you remember Podmas and the shit show that was? Although <laughs> I say this, but Leanne and I sat out um, a couple of nights ago. It was Leanne's birthday a couple of days ago. And so we sat out and we drank some, I think we, we were sitting drinking rakia, which is like a kind of a, a distilled plum spirit. Well, it can be any fruit, but it's mainly plum. We're drinking it till about one o'clock in the morning and just listening to our Podmas episode. I keep saying Podmas, I say it wrong. Podmas episodes. And to be honest, we did laugh out loud a little bit, didn't we? We did. So if you fancy a giggle, go back and, uh, and listen to them. Um, we might have had a few gins during those episodes. So it's um, it's kind of a no-holds-barred kind of affair, isn't it? Definitely. So just really quickly, Podmas is from the 1st of December, the 25th of December. We do a podcast every single day, podcast episode. They're usually a bit shorter. They're usually a bit silly. And Leanne often tried, well, last year she combined a Christmas song with every topic. Now, it might be too much work this year because I know that took us a long time. But if you're interested, then make sure you subscribe and you're going to get our Podmas episodes. Anyway, it's not Christmas yet, so let's talk about our guest. So we are talking to a lady called Seppi Tebebian. Now, I'm sorry, Seppi, I hope I've said your name right. I've been practicing and practicing. Do you know, when I went to interview her, I practiced it and, and the spelling is C-E-E-P... EI, I think. And so I was like, it's Seppi, it's Seppi, it's Seppi. And then when I said, hello, CP, and I was like, oh my God, what an idiot. I felt like such an idiot. Nothing to say to that, Leanne? No worries. I thought you had it. I thought you no, didn't no. need me. No, no, I was. Uh... Anyway, so it's uh, Seppi. And um, Seppi runs a group called She Hit Refresh. Really interesting. It's I'm not her target market. It's for women over the between the age of 30. Well, she doesn't really have an upper limit. It's, it's 30 upwards. I think she's got in a group some people who are 70s, some people who are 30s, some people who are 50s. And the whole point is that if you're looking to do something slightly different with your, with your world, slightly different with your life, and you just want some inspiration from a couple of ladies who are absolutely killing it and have had the and have been brave enough to say, I am going to do something completely different, then She Hit Refresh is definitely, definitely for you. 
Yeah, I've actually followed She Hits Refresh for a while, and mm-hmm. it was only when when I was telling you that we had this guest booked in that I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, it's cool. I got a lot of inspiration from that. I think it's it's always nice to kind of connect with with people who are part of your community, whether that be, you know, as a, as a woman or a certain profession or or you know, nationality, whatever it is. It is it is nice to check in with people of a similar demographic. So yeah, but they've got some really cool socials, um, and I'm looking forward to this one, Elle. Yeah, it's really good. We talk mainly about how you work abroad. So this is the work part of living and working abroad. We've got lots of people who tell you where to live and how you can live. And we've given you our tips on all the stuff not to to expect when you embark on this amazing journey. But this is all about the work. So I hope it's going to be useful. And as ever, if you've got any feedback, find us on Instagram, our social, our social life, <laughs> a sideways life. You think after What's that? A... <laughs> Just give them someone some, some free advertising. A sideways life on all of the socials. And you can also go to a sidewayslife.com and uh, you can get to and get in touch with us there. So let's go meet Seppi. All right, so we're joined here with uh, Seppi Tabibian, um, and she's just a fascinating lady. She's just done, seems to have done everything in the world. If you if you get a chance, have a look at her website, but she is fantastic. I'm not going to try and introduce her because she's done so much, so I want to ask her loads of questions. But so let's just go ahead and welcome. Hello, hello, Seppi. Hi, Al. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be on the Sideways, A Sideways Life. <laughs> I, do you know what? I, I get the name wrong all the time. I said on the last podcast, I call it The Sideways Life, and the Anne's like, no, 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 you got it wrong. So let's kick off and start from kind of the beginning. What is your background? Where are you originally from? You sound like you might not necessarily be a native of Spain. Yes, you're very perceptive there. Yes. So <laughs> I'm originally from Houston, Texas, but uh, my mom's from Colombia, my dad's from Iran. And I spent most of my time growing up and living in the U.S. It wasn't until in my 20s I started exploring out. So now, as you mentioned, I live in Spain. Um, Kind of professionally, my background is in marketing and international relations. And that kind of ties into to what I what I do now. Brilliant. So you've you've been you lived in quite a few places. So give us a timeline. When did you leave Houston and then where did you go from there till now? Yeah. So I left Houston just for travels. Actually, at 17, I begged my father for my 17th birthday to send me to the Netherlands to visit my best friend who I'd met in Houston in high school, but she had since moved back. So that trip sparked this fascination with travel. So I traveled and traveled and traveled. And in 2001, a long, long time ago, so I'm aging myself, I came to Spain for a summer to study Spanish. And that really changed the trajectory and brought Spain into my life. So I've lived in Spain on and off since 2006 till till now, but I also um, did some short stints in Palestine and Israel. Um, and those are the only places that I've lived, although I've traveled to quite a few places outside of that. So you've piqued my interest there with Palestine. I'll talk to you about that in a second. But the first question I've got to ask you is, are you, so you're still classed as like American citizen. Is that correct? Yes, I'm an American citizen, but I'm also a Spanish citizen and well, a Colombian citizen. <laughs> that's what I want to talk to you about, because as a third country national that we are now after Brexit, we we can't stay in Spain for more than three months. So how are you managing to do this? Yeah, so I've been on a journey here. I mean, my whole on and off relationship with Spain had a lot to do with the visa um, opportunities or lack of opportunities, especially in the 2000s when I came here as an auxiliar, so a, a language assistant with the North American Language and Cultural Assistant Program, which is very popular for Americans. Uh, but I came here for that, and teaching English kind of seemed like the only path, and so I didn't want to do that. So I'd always go back to the U.S., 
and then try to come back to Spain and try something else. So I've been in Spain on student visa. I did a master's here. I came back in 2015 to like try to figure it out. Like I'm going to make a life here in Spain on my own terms, not teaching. But I had to come to teach. So I taught. And then I got really lucky and I got a work visa sponsorship, which is super rare, but I felt like I won the lottery with that one. Um, and then after that, I learned about the non-lucrative visa and I was in a financial position then where I could make that happen. So that's been most of my journey. But also through all of that, I realized that through my Colombian heritage, I qualified for Spanish citizenship. And so that's what I had been working on for the past kind of four years. And that just all came through this year. I finally got my Spanish citizenship maybe about six months ago. So you mentioned there the non-lucrative visa. Now we, we've looked in, you probably saw that we had a podcast episode about three months ago with a lady who does visas um, in Spain. Um, and she's basically said to us, look, at the moment, at that point in time, it was really just like a non-lucrative visa was really the only option available to us. Um, so, to, so for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that means, could you maybe explain what that visa is and what it allows you to do and what it doesn't? Yeah. So the non-lucrative is a visa that actually has changed. So when I originally applied for it in 2017, you were able to work remotely on this visa because this visa technically is a visa for someone who's retired. The non-lucrative part means that you can't participate in lucrative activities while you're in Spain. But at the time, the consulates in the U.S. were allowing people who met the requirements for the visa, the financial requirements to come, but also work remotely outside of Spain. So I was working for companies in the U.S. and Asia. And even when I renewed that visa in my you know, letter of intent, I stated you know, in 2019 that I uh, was working remotely. But then some point in 2019, that all changed. And so the situation now is that the non-lucrative visa no longer really is a viable option for people who work remotely because the consulates in the U.S. will not allow anybody who states that they work remotely to qualify for this visa. So much so that they're even asking people to have you know, um, notarized, notarized letters stating when they're actually quitting their job or letters from their company and their company's letterhead saying that they will terminate their employment with them by X date. Um, so this was a visa that I really did encourage a lot of people who worked remotely to get who wanted to live in Spain because it was the way that, you know, the easiest way to get here if you could financially meet the requirements. But now, not so much, although I will say not that I encourage anybody to do it. I know a lot of people that are lucrative here and they do work remotely. They just didn't state that in their applications. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a tough situation and it's, it's only in the last, what, maybe the last 14 days I've started to see news about the Spanish digital nomad visa. Now, do you know anything about that at, at this point? Oh my gosh, the Spanish digital nomad visa is getting everybody crazy. There is so much hype around this and there's so little information. Um, but yes, so I'm sort of in the dark like everyone else, but this Spanish digital nomad visa is something that Spain's been talking about since July of 2021. So we're over a year now of speculating, but this is a visa that's really going to become an opportunity, hopefully, for those who don't qualify for the non-lucrative anymore and want to live in Spain and work remotely to be able to be here um, temporarily, but kind of like long-term temporary, because I've heard this visa will be anywhere from one to two years and you can um, extend it up to five years, which is great. Um, originally, when people were talking about this last year, they predicted that it was going to come out by this summer, but summer has passed, right? And we're still waiting. Some people say by the end of this year, but really, I mean, for those of us that have lived in Spain, know Spain, they're on their own timeline. So I wouldn't, you know, predict that anything's going to come out until hopefully 2023. 
Um, but some of the rumors that we hear about this visa um, that I think are really beneficial for people who want to come are, you know, there may be a special tax regime. So if you're here, you know, if you live in Spain or really in any European country for over 183 days, you're going to be considered a tax resident. And if you're coming from the U.S., those taxes can be a lot higher than what you're used to. So hopefully this digital nomad visa will have a special tax benefit of they're saying 15 percent, which is lower than what uh, it is in Spain. Um, and also one thing that this visa is supposed to allow also is that you can work with Spanish clients, um, which is something, you know, you couldn't do in the non-lucrative when you were able to use that for remote work. Uh, but you can only um, accrue about 20% of your earnings from Spanish clients, though. The rest of that would have to come from uh, foreign work. But we're excited to see when it comes out and what it's all about. But that's all I know so far. So I'm patiently waiting as well. So one of the things that put us off when we were coming to, when we were looking to to settle in Spain post-Brexit, um, was this autonomo, like um, 250 euros a month, regardless, kind of like social security thing. Do you, do you know if that's going to be applicable under the, the visa? Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I would assume not, since it's a difference, since it's a standalone visa. I don't think that it's going to... I don't know, because also I believe in this visa, like many of the other ones, you're going to have to have your own private health care. Um, and so the autonomy visa really is for people who are going to pay into Social Security, to the health care system. So people who are going to be here, you know, supposedly for, you know, a long, long time, all the digital nomad visas for people who are going to be here for temporary stances of, of a few years. So I'm not sure that they would require people to pay into the autonomous um, fee, but you never know. We'll we'll wait and see. But you're right. The autonomous is another opportunity for people to live in Spain. And that's kind of like a freelancer's visa. But a big deterrent are those uh, those fees that you have to pay monthly that, like, as you said, they can go up to 250, 300 euros, which is a lot because it's not based on your income. It's that flat rate once you get to that level, um, whether you're making money or not. Yeah, definitely, definitely. One of the one of the things that before I go on to the actual, you know, what you do for work, one of the things I did see, which I think would preclude us from getting that visa, is that you can't be resident in Spain for the previous five years or something. Have you seen anything like that? Uh, is that for the the digital nomad yeah. you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I have seen that, but I don't know, you know, how true that is. And also, I believe this digital nomad visa. I didn't mention that. Is I think it may only be for non-EU residents or like third people from third party countries. I'm not sure. I know a lot of the digital nomad visas do have that requirement. So we'll see if that's going to be the case with Spain. Yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting. It's going to just open up. You know, Spain is such a fabulous, fabulous place for weather, food, people, lifestyle. It's just, and you can get such different, varied, like you can go to the north and have a different experience. You can go to the center, have a different experience. You can go to Andalusia and you have a different experience. It's fantastic. So just before, I, I, I realize I'm going on about Spain a little bit, but we do miss it. We do love it. Very jealous of you sitting in Malaga right now. Um, so talk, a lot of questions we have are around people who want to work abroad but uh, but there's a tax situation and of course but the main thing they're asking is how do I do it what do I do so can you yeah. I mean are you able to share some of the stories of how you made money whilst you lived abroad uh, perhaps how you're doing it now how you did in the past and then just advice for anyone who might be looking to, to go down this road Sure. Yeah. Happy to talk about my own journey and then give people kind of the, bu the different buckets of how you can work abroad, because it's not as easy as just taking your laptop and going somewhere as it may seem now that everyone's working remote. 
But in my case, as I mentioned, when I first came to Spain, and probably one of the most popular ways for people to 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 work abroad, especially Americans, because it is really hard to get that work visa, is teaching English. So I first came and taught English, uh, as I mentioned, through the uh, language assistant program here in Spain. And a lot of countries offer opportunities for native English speakers to, to work there. So that's an opportunity. That was my first road in. Um, then, as I mentioned, I got a work visa and I was working uh, from my marketing background for a startup here in Spain. But to get hired locally is very, very difficult to almost impossible, I would say, for Americans who want to move to another country. Um, you really need to have a specialized skill. And even with that, it's going to be very difficult. Um, so that, you know, I was very lucky to go that route and I can talk more about that later. Um, but then after I, I left um, working for a Spanish company, I then started working remotely. So like I said, I was on the non-lucrative visa and at the time I could work remotely. And so I learned new skills for that role. Um, I got into social media, I got into content writing and I got into community building, which now is a really big thing. And I leveraged those skills to find remote work outside of Spain. Um, because at the same time, I was looking for work in Spain, but the salaries are so low, it was just really hard to wrap my head around working 40 hours a week and getting paid 1,200 euros a month. And so uh, with my remote skills, I was able to score freelance work uh, with companies in, in Asia and the U.S. And then from there, most recently um, this year, I, I quit working for other people to go all in in my business, which is to help women over 30 who want to, to move abroad. Brilliant. And we will, we will talk about uh, about your business, which I think is called She Hit Refresh. We'll talk about that yeah. a bit later on because I do want to hear a bit more about that. Um, you said you reskilled. So you talked about the classic, which is, you know, social media, community, well, community was a new one um, for me, but, but you know, social, social media yeah. content. Do you have like a kind of a top five skills that someone should be looking at or thinking about reskilling as if they want to work remotely? Yes. Yeah, so that is a great question. I mean, Skills are going to vary, but I can definitely let you know that some of the most in-demand um, roles out there for people who want to go remote, and now things have changed because kind of every role has gone remote in some way. But I think if you're looking to, to reskill, upskill, or change uh, the path that you're on, some of the uh, top areas are, one is writing. So if you're a writer, like I said, I got into copywriting I am no, by no means was a writer by trade. I didn't study English. It's just something that I honed my skills in. And there's so much opportunity out there, especially with everything being online for marketing, uh, advertising, for any kind of content. Someone needs to write that. So if you're a skilled writer, that's definitely a path to go. Uh, another one is SEO, so search engine optimization, which can sound very scary to people and very technical. Um, it can be, but really to, to learn more than the average person, you don't have to be a technical person. And that is something that I've learned myself, but also I outsource that to people. And that's a very, not only high in demand skill to have, but also a very well-paying skill to have. And so if you can help um, someone out there get their content to rank higher on Google, you are golden. Um, in addition to that, virtual assistants is like the hot topic now. And a virtual assistant isn't just someone who is like a, an assistant who is uh, filing papers and stuff like that. It's actually a virtual assistant can be helping someone in any way. Um, a virtual assistant can help in a variety of ways. So that can be with social media marketing, that can be with writing, that can be with bookkeeping. So virtual assistants. Um, and then I would also just mention again, community managers that I mentioned. So a lot of... Um, 
communities sprouted up during the pandemic. And a lot of companies saw the value of having com online communities for their products and services. And so the role of community manager has become something, um, has become more from a hobbyist to more of a, a professional realm where you can get paid great money. And if you love working with people virtually and online, it's a great position as well. This is great. I mean, I th I'm a copywriter and my sort of like when I did my, when I learned my copywriting way back when it was basically saying, look, um, get them paid, get them laid and help them lose weight. And those are the three things that, that people will pay you to write stuff about. So I think the, I think it's really important to to to, to realize from what that list per particularly is that if you are going to freelance, then the closer you can get to the money for the client, the easier probably it's going to be. You know, there's a lot of people out there who go, I want to go out there and I want to create a yoga studio in the hills of Andalusia or something. And it's like, well, that's cool, but that's not, you know, you're going to make much more money writing content for a crypto newsletter and it's going to be much easier. So Talk me through if someone has got a dream to live in Spain or live in a different country, but they do come to you and say, I want to do something like be a dog coach or something, something which is quite a bit difficult to monetize. What's your advice for someone like that? Yeah, well, I would say it's probably not going to be the easiest path. So a lot of the, you know, all the jobs that I just mentioned are all virtual. So if you can go virtual, that's going to be your easiest way in. So I'll talk a little bit about the virtual path, but I will talk for, for those who want to do maybe more on the ground, tactile, or have a more out of the box, non-online um, uh, job that they want to do. I mean, there are countries out there that do offer freelance and self-employment visas. And that's for people who want to freelance and self-employ and be self-employed with the local economy. So that's not working, you know, that's not living in Spain and working for a country in the U.S. That's for living in Spain and working with Spanish clients. So probably the com the countries that are the easiest to get a, a you know a freelance or self-employment visa are going to be Germany and the Czech Republic. For that specific example, I don't know if you can get a job doing that, but definitely there's more you know than beyond than teaching English. So Germany and Czech Republic are great countries to look at. But also, like we mentioned, Spain has an autonomous visa, but France, Italy, and the Netherlands also have these kind of freelance and self-employment options for people who maybe aren't going to be working online. But if we talk about remote work, because I do want to touch on that, because I think that is, you know, that is what everybody is striving to have right now. And I think that's opened up a lot of doors for people to untether their lives. Um, you know, there are the digital nomad visas, which are popping up left and right. We mentioned Spain's, that's hopefully going to come. Italy is due to have one also, which be which would be great. But just in Europe alone, Portugal just released their digital nomad visa, which is different than their D7 visa that has been their most popular visa. So Portugal just released details on their digital nomad visa October 30th. So that just happened a few days ago. But there's also Croatia, Greece, Estonia, Malta, Hungary. So those are ways to go. And then as you mentioned earlier, like Spain's non-lucrative, which doesn't really let people work remotely anymore. Other countries have similar non-lucrative or retirement visas that do let you work remotely. So Portugal's D7, which is kind of changing now that they have the digital nomad, but France, Italy, Croatia, Greece, Austria, Poland, Bulgaria, Malta, all those countries have opportunities for you um, to, to work remotely and live there. This is all fantastic. And I didn't know about the uh, Portuguese digital nomad visa, so we'll definitely chat about it. In fact, what do you know about that? Do you know anything about it? Is there a public record about that yes now? oh my gosh so information is still very scarce i don't know why there hasn't been 
a big official announcement from Portugal, but from all of the outlets that have had the pulse on it, yes. So there is information on that. Let me pull it up here because I have it. So that they just released information because we've been hearing that with the D7 visa, which has been Portugal's retiree or non-lucrative visa, that they are now, they used to um, allow people to qualify for that visa with passive income and also remote work income. But we've been hearing now that they have been asking for even more passive income and have, and for some people and some consulates have not been accepting uh, remote income as a qualifier. So it looks like this Digital nomad visa is going to solve that problem. And so with a digital nomad visa, it looks like you're going to have to earn around um, 2,800 euros a month to qualify for this. You're going to have to prove that you're working for a company located outside of Portugal. Um, and then some of the basic you know, requirements you always need is you know, your own health insurance and stuff like that. Uh, but this seems to be a, um, a viable option for people who want to go to Portugal and maybe don't you know, qualify for the D7. And I'm sure more information is going to come out. Like I said, this just came out a few days ago. This is great. This is great. So you said you've got to earn 2,800 euros a month. That's what you're proving. I know with Croatia, because we're going for the this digital nomad visa for the second time, it's about the same amount of money. Okay. Um, so tell me, what is your experience of living expenses in, say, Malaga? I mean, Tell us anywhere you want. I mean, what's your experience? I've, I've certainly started with Spain, but tell us if there anywhere you found that's particularly cheap to live. Yeah. I mean, cheap is such a relative term. So when I say sometimes that it's cheap to live in Spain, if I'm talking to Spaniards, they're going to have a different opinion than Americans who are coming. But I'm sure a lot of your audience out there are foreigners trying to move here. So if you're coming to Spain with a foreign income, I think you're going to be in a really good place to where you're going to find that it's cheaper to live, especially if you're coming from a major city in the U.S. Um, so I lived in Madrid for five years before moving to Malaga two years ago. And when I moved to Malaga during the pandemic, it was a lot cheaper than than Madrid. You know, I had a two bedroom here for about 700 euros. It was, you know, it was, you know, I had a balcony. It was big. It was much bigger than anything I had in Madrid and a lot cheaper. Now I would say prices have really increased in Malaga when it comes to rental prices. So if you want to live on your own, let's say Madrid, Malaga in a one bedroom in the city center, you know, expect to be paying at the least 850 euros, but I could be totally out of touch. It's probably even more than that now. Um, but, you know, I would say living expenses such as groceries, eating out, of course, drinking, all of that is less expensive than in the U.S. Electricity has gone up all over the world, but it's always been more expensive in, in Europe than in the U.S. But I think if you're coming uh, with a U.S. salary, you can live here comfortably and don't have to worry about, um, you know, you know, counting your pennies. But if you're coming to Spain and you're going to work here for a local company and have a Spanish salary, it's going to be a little bit tighter. Your budget's going to have to be a little bit tighter because you're going to be making a lot less and you're going to have a lot of expenses that um, is not going to leave you that much money over disposable income to have. Definitely. We found the same thing. And, and in a lot of Europe, we've, I think it's, it's, it's the same all over Europe, but certainly in Croatia and Spain, we find that a lot of uh, younger people, um, A, drive much older cars than you might you might do in um, certainly in the UK and, and, and the US um, and tend to live with their parents for much longer. Yeah, because which of is the case here too in Spain, right? People, it's not uncommon for people to to live here with their parents until their thirties or until they're married. So not uncommon. I definitely went on quite a few dates in Madrid with thirty five year olds who still live at home. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So you, I think I saw something somewhere on one of your blogs or uh, in your group about a list of companies that actually look for people who are digital nomads. Have I got the right right end of the stick there? 
Yes. So I did. I created a list for companies that allow you to work from anywhere because in my community, people were like, all these companies say they let you work remote, but they won't let me work remotely outside of the U.S. So I created this piece that lets you work from anywhere, not just anywhere USA. And when I was compiling this list, I was so surprised at how how short the list was. I mean, it's 14 companies that I could find that really didn't have any um, asterisks there because companies like Airbnb, um, uh, I think, oh, is it HubSpot now? They allow their teams to work remotely, but only for 90 days out of the year. And so there's always an asterisk. And so I wanted to make that list and help people who are looking, who wanted to untether their life. And so, yeah, I can talk to you about some of the, the top companies there um, and let you know, yeah, which ones I recommend. Yeah, please do. Fabulous. So the top one I always talk about is Power to Fly, which was actually a company that I worked for in 2020. They are a diversity recruiting and retention platform, and they're all about getting under, like connecting underrepresented, underrepresented talent to roles in highly visible sectors. So I love what their mission is. They're women-led, uh, they're intersectional, but they have been fully remote and global since they started in, I believe, 2014, so well before the pandemic. And I worked for them remotely from Spain. And I actually was one of, I think, six people on their team working from Spain, and none of us were Spanish. And so they really do live by what they preach about being a global team first. And that's even one of their core values. So I highly recommend Power to Fly, just an incredible company all around. Um, another company on the list and one that I love is Automatic. So if you are in the world of like WordPress and Tumblr and that kind of stuff, WooCommerce, you might know them. They're the company behind all of those brands. Um, and they're also a fully remote team that has been fully remote before the pandemic. And they have offices all over the world. And they, yeah, they empower their teams uh, to work remotely and be remote. Um, another company, which is called Remote, um, is a company, uh, a relatively new company founded in 2019. And they actually help companies with this problem of uh, hiring um hiring employees in other countries or allowing their team mates to work in other countries. So they're kind of like a third party payroll provider that can help with, uh, for companies to be compliant abroad. And so they themselves, since they do this for other companies, they obviously do that for their own employees. Um, and what I love about remote is they actually also have a policy that ensures a worldwide minimum salary of 40,000 US dollars, even if that's not the local minimum wage. Because sometimes you'll find that companies will localize their salaries. Um, you know, if you've got that same job in the US, they're not going to pay you the same if you're living in Spain kind of thing, but remote um, doesn't seem to do that. And then last is Zapier, which is um, a company that helps automate workflows and, and connecting apps and services like that. I use them. They also have a fully remote team. They're in 17 different time zones, 28 countries, um, and they have some some great perks as well. So these countries and ten, these companies and 10 others I have on, on my blog post and YouTube uh, video, and I think they're all just incredible companies that are finding solutions to allow their teams to move into what this new normal is or this new normal that we want to have now that we can work remotely and really should be able to take our jobs anywhere we want to go. Definitely. Definitely. I think I think everyone's experienced, well, not everyone, most people have experienced a shift in the way they look at work these days, as opposed to I have to go to work. Now it's all right, well, work is just a part of what I do. And I'm, I just it, it, it astounds me the the how people have changed their lives because of this pandemic and for the better, massively for yeah. the better. And people seem so much happier. Um, they really I do. 
I totally agree. I think it's definitely opened up so many doors for people to live their lives in different ways and ways they didn't even realize a few years ago. But I will say, because I do want to add that a lot of people complain like, oh, you know, my company, they won't let me work remotely. And, you know, companies, a lot of companies do have geographic and time zone restrictions when they say they're fully remote. Um, but they don't do that. For, it's not they don't do that just because they want to like ruin your life. There are some well-meaning reasons behind that. So I just want to just like let people know why your company may not be fully remote or may, you know, not let you work abroad. And I think basically that's because they they aren't going to be compliant um, abroad. And so, you know, if you're in the U.S., you have a U.S. contract and you want to go live in France and work on that U.S. contract, your company is going to get in trouble because they're not going to be compliant with the local payroll, tax laws, employment laws, all that kind of stuff. And so that's why they're really saying no, especially if they don't have an entity in that country. If they have an entity, maybe that's a possibility you could get transferred. Um, but like I mentioned, there's these third-party companies like Remote, another one is called Deal, that are coming in and helping companies um, bridge that gap so that they can be compliant and so that you can work from anywhere. Fabulous. So just to wrap things up then, I'm, I've had a look at your group and it's I quite like that it's like, no, we're not for men, we're for women. You can look at our stuff, but you can't join us. And I quite like that because I think it's just very specific. So tell us if there are any women listening, um, what, what sort of things can they expect from your group and who would be the perfect person to join? Yes, thanks so much. Yes, so She Hit Refresh, like I mentioned, it's a community for women over 30 who really want to break free from a life of routine and want to move abroad. And so if you're on the cusp of 30, we do let women that are 28, 29 in the group. I get that question a lot. But this is really for women who want to move abroad. So this isn't, you know, going to backpack in Thailand for two weeks. This is really making a radical change in your life and uprooting yourself and move to move somewhere else. We have women from 30 to 70 in the group. So if you're in that bracket and if you're beyond 70, please join us. Um, but this is for, for single women, women with children. We have widows in there, divorced, all kinds of women in there that are just looking for the resources because, um, you know, when I did this myself, I moved to Spain in 2015 at 35 years old. There just wasn't a lot of information for women in my age bracket. It really was for women who were doing a gap year straight out of college or like I said, wanted to do maybe like solo travel. So um, if you're looking for resources on, you know, visa information, where you can move, what to do with your cell phone, what to do with your mail, healthcare, pets, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we have all that information for you. In our community, you can talk to women who have the same fears and doubts and dreams as you. And you can talk to women who are, you know, trying to move abroad and also talk to women who have done it as well. Fabulous. Brilliant. So, what question have I not asked you that you think I should have done? Oh, let's see. That is, let's see. What question? I think you should ask me about um, taxes. We did not talk about taxes. And I think that's something to touch on, even though I'm not a tax expert. Okay. So prefacing this with the fact that this is not financial advice, you know, a tax expert. What do people need to know about, uh, about tax? This is income yeah. tax we're talking, or are we talking all taxes? Yeah, we're talking about income tax. I just wanted to point this out because it's something that maybe slips people's mind or they're just not really sure how it works. So if you are thinking of moving abroad, especially from the U.S., just know like you are always on the hook to file your taxes in the U.S. as long as you're a U.S. citizen. So just because you're living in Mexico doesn't mean you don't have to pay your taxes in the U.S. So take, keep that in mind. But if you're living abroad, you may also be liable for taxes in the country that you're living in. So like I live in Spain. And for many countries around the world, if you're in, if you're living there for more than 183 days, you're liable for taxes. So I have to file here in Spain. 
Um, so just be aware of that when you're looking on where to go. Uh, that is something, especially for people who maybe have assets and for people who have uh, retirement plans or pensions, just make sure you know what your tax obligations are going to be. And the, like I said, I'm not a tax expert, so I'm not going to tell you um, what that information is, but you definitely should talk to a qualified expert who has experience with people who are living in the country you want to live in. And I would say it's probably best to find those people in Facebook groups. Ask, go to like expats in Spain if you're looking to move to Spain and ask in there. Probably your local accountant um, or tax attorney in the U.S. is not going to know um, the information that that they need to, to help you through that. I think that's so important to get the right advice. I mean, I see so many people posting in Facebook groups going, I'm earning this. How do I, how do I pay tax? How do I pay tax? And someone going, oh, it's easy. You just do this and it's this and it's this. It's like, hang on a minute. This is just some dude on Facebook. You know, why are you taking <laughs> advice, tax advice from someone on Facebook? So, yeah, I think this is so, so important. And um, and also just get a couple of pieces, a couple of opinions if you want. Most play, most professionals will give you 20 minutes for free um, to chat you through, chat through and just test and see because we've had some really dodgy advice in the past. If you are looking to, I, this is not Americans, unfortunately. If you're not living in America, if you're not an American and you want to live tax-free, then Croatia has a one-year tax-free visa. Unfortunately, you have to leave after after a year and reapply in six months' time. But that's certainly something for someone who's considering who wants to get away from the taxes. Okay, um, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Seppi. Um, I will put all the links to your groups and stuff in the show notes, and um, I'm hoping that if uh, if we've got any more questions, I can direct them to you, and you can uh, you can answer them from from listeners. For anyone who's who wants more information on uh, your visas, like visa opportunities to live in Europe, specifically the ins and outs, what the requirements are, how you can qualify, I do have a book that I wrote called "I'm Out of Here: An American's Ultimate Visa Guide to Living in Europe." And it's actually not just for Americans. Since Brexit happens, a lot of people in Britain have been using it and very popular people in Australia as well. But take a look because I go over the 50, um, I go over the 17 easiest countries to move to in Europe if you're an American and also go over 50 viable visa options. So these are visas where you don't have to be a millionaire, you don't have to marry married to someone and you don't have to be, get transferred with your company. So I know a lot of people want to move to Europe but think it's impossible and it's really not. Fabulous. Brilliant. Okay, well, we'll link to that as well then. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much, Al. Love that. Yeah, she's full of energy, isn't she? Yeah. So it's so nice to actually, because like you, especially when you follow somebody for a while, it's you feel like you kind of get a bit of an inside scoop when you hear like an interview with them. It's cool. So jealous of her living in Malaga. We were there in yeah. summer for a month and we loved it. But as, as Brits, well, you heard in the interview, it's very difficult for us to, to live there. So, um, so Although maybe not. They're talking about scrapping it, aren't they? This whole 90-day rule thing, Spain. Plus, there's a DM visa coming out, which I know you chatted about. So there is hope. There is light at the end of the visa tunnel. So any favorite bits that stuck out, Leah? I think what I thought was really interesting, actually, which I, I didn't expect, is how she's created partnerships with organizations, with businesses, um, and encouraging people, you know, within that to to apply. I think that's that's really awesome. And, and again, you know, just a, I guess just a real sign of how much remote work is so much more accessible, so much more expected, so much more allowed. Elon Musk aside at the moment um but you know it's um no i think it's cool that the, you know the world of work is really changing and i love any organization that's progressive enough to jump on that for the um the health and well-being of their employees bravo definitely 
brilliant. All of her links will be in the show notes. And next time, Leah, what are we talking about next time? So next time we have an interview with a wonderful, wonderful young man called Luke Morris. Um, we realize that we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about people who are fairly established living and working abroad. And often, you know, we can kind of get a little bit blindsided by our experience. It's that burden of knowledge, isn't it? You kind of forget what it's like. So Luke actually has a really interesting story because he has just had his first long period of travel, uh, which is starting to inspire him thinking about potentially nomading, potentially living abroad, doing it again. And I think for anyone who is under the age of 25, sadly, we're not. Mm -hmm. But anyone who is um, in that age bracket, or if you're a listener and you have kids or nephews and nieces or family friends who might be considering this, um, but they're not going to listen to you because you're old, right? Um, then get them to listen to this episode. I say you, I mean, us, you know, us, we're all old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, get them to listen to this episode with the um, yeah first-hand account of somebody in their early 20s who are just dipping their toe into the world of living and working abroad. Okay, so that's coming up next Friday. We, in the meantime, have a good weekend, have a good week. And um, if you're somewhere interesting, then find us on Instagram. Tell us where you are, send us a picture. Yeah, that'd be All nice. Right. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.